you're probably going, I thought we were done with Jonah. Why do we have Jonah in here again? There's a picture of Jonah, and then there's another picture of Nahum, and you're like, what is going on? Well, in life, there are certain ideas that a person picks up along the way. Every so often, you might run across things. Before I was a pastor, I was an active participant in my church and in various ministries, and I was, I was faithfully reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I remember hearing Sunday school teachings and sermons on Jonah from time to time. You know what I'm saying. All of us have probably heard a sermon at some point in your life or a Sunday school lesson on Jonah before you heard the last five sermons that I've given, okay? And I remember when I was reading through Scripture that it stuck in my mind very clearly that almost all of the teachings and sermons that I heard growing up were from the same few passages of Scripture. I heard sermons in Genesis. I heard a sermon or two from Psalms. I did hear a sermon or two from Jonah. And then I heard lots of sermons from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I heard sermons from the book of Acts. I heard sermons from portions of the books of of Romans. And I heard lots of sermons from the book of Philippians. When Pastor John Long was the pastor of this church, church back in the 70s, did he preach on Philippians all the time? You may not remember, but I, well, growing up, because I had the same pastor in Brookings, Pastor John Long, he preached on Philippians more than he preached on any other book. Like Philippians, I thought was like 100 chapters long. Because all we did was talk about Philippians, like stars in the skies were going to be shining. I remember Pastor John Long always preached from Philippians, constantly. I remember thinking to myself as a kid, what about the rest of Scripture? Hmm. So I began reading and studying the other parts that nobody ever taught on, that nobody ever preached on, those parts of Scripture that nobody mentions because we don't talk about those, right? And I discovered the richness of God's Word that is much more than just the well-worn paths that we usually walk on in the church. One of those places in Scripture that the church doesn't visit very often are the 12 minor prophets. Well, except for Jonah. But the other 11, we just don't talk about very much. The 12 small little books. And of course, Jonah, of those 12, Jonah's the most visited. I mean, we've just spent five Sundays talking about Jonah. So if you haven't been here and didn't know what that is, I encourage you to go on the website or go on our YouTube page and you can see the video of those five sermons. I've heard many teach the story of Jonah, but I don't think I have ever heard a sermon on one of those 12 books in my whole life. And apparently, according to Bonnie, I am getting old. That's the fourth time I've talked about this. In my whole life, I know, in my whole life, I've never heard a sermon on Nahum. Have you? Has anybody heard a sermon on Nahum? Last week, at the end of my Jonah series, I said, we're going to do the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey would say, Nahum is the rest of the story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, 
please help us understand your word. We need you, Lord, to interpret for us a difficult book of Scripture. Amen. Today I'm going to read to you the entire book of Nahum. Ooh, that sounds like a lot. We're going to read a whole book. Well, it's actually not that much. It's only 47 verses. There are three chapters, but it's only 47 verses. So if you want to turn to Nahum, you can. It's two books after Jonah, the book of Nahum. Now, before I read these 47 verses, I need you to understand the context of Nahum. Now, all Scripture needs to be read in context. I've been telling you that for as long as I've been standing up here jibber-jabbering to you. You've got to have Scripture in context. True for all of Scripture. But, for the book of Nahum, it's more true. Nahum is a book of Scripture that if you do not understand the context, you will completely misunderstand what Nahum is about, and you will very likely apply Nahum inappropriately. The context of Nahum is Jonah. For five weeks, I have been giving you the context to the book of Nahum. Jonah is the context of Nahum. Now, remember I said that there are things that we as teenagers say we're never going to do as parents? This is the thing. This right here. You ready for this? Jonah and Nahum go together. Now, here's why I'm doing something that different, because I just told you you've never heard a sermon on Nahum, and you just shook your head yes. When I was reading through Scripture before I was a pastor, and I realized what Nahum was for the first time, do you know what stuck in my head like a post-it note? If there ever comes a time when the Lord directs me as a pastor to preach about Jonah, I will for sure preach about Nahum as well. Because it's never been done. Whenever I've heard people talk about Jonah, they never talk about Nahum. And I said, if the Lord gives me the opportunity to be a pastor and to preach and teach about Jonah, I will make sure I preach Nahum along with it. Because I'd never heard it done, and it's a mistake to not preach Nahum with Jonah. And it's not just a little mistake. It's a big mistake. Look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. An oracle concerning Nineveh. What did we just spend the last five Sundays talking about? We spent the last five Sundays talking about that the word of the Lord came to Jonah against... Well, isn't that interesting? Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amadi, or Amatai. And then go to verse 2 against Nineveh. Is there a verse 2 there, Dave? Maybe I didn't put it in there. It's Nineveh. It's Nineveh. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Both Jonah and Nahum are messages from God to Nineveh. And before we even start, I want you to consider the fact that all of your learning in your entire life up to this point, you probably didn't know that Nahum was an oracle against Nineveh. In your whole life of reading Scripture, how many books of the Bible are there? 66. And there's one whole book of the Bible you know nothing about. Nahum. Because if you don't know that Nahum is an oracle against Nineveh, you don't know anything about Nahum. So all of this whole, like your whole life, you've been proud to know the whole Bible and you stand on the Word of God, just like me. And up to this moment, you have not known what I've just said. Very likely. Now maybe somebody in here did know that. Way to go. I'll, I'll get you a cookie. But my guess is most of you have never heard of this before. I need you two to help me right now. You two. Yes. Yeah, you two. Yes. Come over here. Okay. I want you very carefully to pick this table up. Okay. And move it over there by the prayer rail. Okay, good job. Don't spill. Jeremy, I need your help right now. Can you help me with this? Okay. Hold that. Okay, stick that right, right there. Okay, grab that and follow me. We missed it. That's going to work. Thank you. This is the timeline. At the door, that's us. This is the life of Jesus right here. Everybody got that? So that's 2,000 years? Everybody got that, right? Okay. Here's Jonah. Okay. So Jonah was about, oh, 750 years before Christ. Okay. Everybody got that? Jonah spoke a word against what city? Nineveh. Because Nineveh, for 100 years before Jonah was terrorizing the world. They were horrible, cruel monsters. 
Jonah did not want to bring the word of the Lord to Nineveh. Why? Because they might repent. And Jonah wanted them to die because they deserved to die. Right? Now, what happened when Jonah went to Nineveh? They repented. And Jonah was unhappy. Right? So he sat on a hill and he pouted. Right? And said, I told you, God, you would forgive him if we gave him the chance. We should have just blasted him. That would have been better. And God said, I created them. I love them. If they repent, I will forgive them. Because we are to have the Creator's perspective, aren't we? The Creator's perspective on people who are around us. Now, Jonah's about here. It's somewhere here. We, that date, maybe, maybe not. It's going to be around this time here. You know what this date is right here? This date is 722. Timeline small group. We just talked about this. What happened in 722 B.C.? Amber? The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed. The northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed in 722 B.C. Where was Jonah from? The northern kingdom. So, Jonah went to Nineveh because God told him to. Nineveh repented. A generation after Jonah, the northern kingdom was destroyed. By whom? The Assyrians. Nineveh. Nineveh destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Only a generation after Jonah had gone to them and offered them repentance, which they accepted. What Jonah feared happened. Why Jonah was angry with God for allowing them the chance of forgiveness happened. Still think Jonah's a putz? Seven twenty-two. Right there is six fifteen BC. Right about there. That's Nahum. Nahum prophesied about ninety-five years. After the destruction of the northern kingdom. You see, the southern kingdom of Judah, you remember, remember there was King Saul, King David, King Solomon. After Solomon, Israel split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was destroyed in 722, but the southern kingdom kept on for another little bit more than 100 years. In 615, Nahum the prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah prophesied an oracle against Nineveh, the second time that God spoke against Nineveh. The first time was Jonah, the second time was Nahum, about 150 years after Jonah. Now, I want to tell you something. 
The fact that you've never heard this is a failure of the church today. A failure that assumes that people that sit in a church pew are, would, just would be too bored to hear all of this history. That is a significant failure of the whole church today that the average Christian has no idea what I'm talking about. Because they're both to Nineveh. How could these not be taught together? Do you see this? This has to be taught together. In 615, Nahum announced the oracle that we're going to read. And in 612, Nineveh was destroyed by the Babylonians. What I'm going to read was penned three years before Nineveh was destroyed. It was uh, 95 years after the northern kingdom was destroyed by Nineveh, and it was 150 years before or after Jonah. Everybody got that in your head? Last thing I want to say to get the context of this. Before Jonah, remember, 100 years before Jonah, the Assyrians were torturing and cruelly destroying people. Okay? So by the time you get to Nahum, it had been 250 years of it. Everybody got that? If Jonah was upset about the Assyrians after 100 years of cruelty, how do you suppose Nahum felt after 250? What I'm going to read next is hard to listen to, but it's worth reading. should take me eight minutes to read this. Nahum. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end to Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. They will be entangled among the thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, O Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and counsels wickedness. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be cut off and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, O Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. 
You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Look, there in the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. Chapter 2. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. The shields of his soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of pine are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. He summons his picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. It is decreed that the city be exalted and exiled and carried away. Its slave girls moan like doves and beat upon their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool, and its water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry. But no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den? The place where they fed their young, where the lion and lioness went, and the cubs with nothing to fear. The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. Chapter 3, woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will strike your, I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. All who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense. The waters her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies, yet she was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk. You will go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with their first ripe 
fruit. They are, when they are shaken, the figs fall into the mouth of the eater. Look at your troops. They are all women. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed their bars. Draw water from the, for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair the brickwork. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down and, like grasshoppers, consume you. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more than the stars of the sky. But the locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the wall on a cold day. But when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. O king of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal your wound. Your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? End of the book. Difficult words to hear. How does this fit with the words of Jesus? How does this fit with loving our neighbor? How can this be God? Question number one. How can God be jealous and avenging and filled with wrath? How could that be? Look at Nahum verse, chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. How can God be jealous? Isn't jealousy a bad? How can God be jealous? Well, there are two terms that we use in English. And we use them interchangeably, but they are not supposed to be interchangeable. They are the words jealous and envious. We use those words as if they are the same word. They are not the same word. Jealousy is the feeling you get when someone takes something that belongs to you. Envy is the feeling you get when you long for something that belongs to somebody else. We are not to be envious. There are two of the Ten Commandments that talk about that, are there not? We are not to be envious, but there are occasions when it is righteous to be jealous. When someone takes something that is yours, you have the righteous right to be jealous. God is righteous in his jealousy for Israel and for us. When things pull us away from him, he is jealous. One of the 12 minor prophets, Hosea, it's a whole book about God's jealousy. Number two, is this God? 
I know of Christians today that don't read Nahum. I know of pastors that don't preach on Nahum because they are conflicted. How could the God of Jesus say these things? How could the God of Jesus say, I will pelt my enemies with filth? How could the God who is Jesus say, I will pull their skirts over their heads? That was in there. Did you catch that? How could God say that and still be Jesus? Do you remember what Jonah said about God in chapter 4 of Jonah? It took all the way to get to chapter 4 for Jonah to say in Jonah chapter 2. He said, Jonah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. That's what Jonah knew about God. And that's right. And where did Jonah get that from? He got it from Exodus chapter 34. He got it from Moses himself who had just met with God. Look at Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord passed in front of Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. There's where Jonah got that. And that's God. God is slow to anger, abounding in love. His compassion is a defining characteristic of who he is. (laughs) You know, Nahum quotes the same thing. Did you catch that in Nahum chapter 1, verse 3? The Lord is, what is the Lord? Slow to anger. And great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. The way His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and clouds or the dust of His feet. Now, how can Nahum quote the same passage of Scripture that the Lord is slow to anger? But then go on to say, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. How can that work? I just read for you Exodus 34 Verse 6, would it be okay if I read for you the next verse in Exodus? Exodus 34, verse 7. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Nahum quotes the same passage from Exodus. He just emphasizes the second half. Do you see why I've got such a problem that people only preach Jonah and fail to preach Nahum? Do you want the complete picture of who God is? You gotta preach both. Is God slow to anger? Yes. Is he compassionate? Yes. Does he forgive? Yes. And does he punish the wicked? Yes. It's both. You cannot, should not, should never preach Jonah without also preaching Nahum. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Can anyone say 
Yikes. How does this help us today? (laughs) I have been looking forward to preaching in Nahum for literally months. Because when I realized it was time to preach Jonah, I was like, I've been waiting for decades to preach Nahum. Deuteronomy 32.35 says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. Whose job is it to get revenge, church of God? Is it yours? Whose? It is God's. And when he does it, it's righteous. What's our job? To love. To help people find reconciliation with God. That's our job. Do you know what's not our job? To seek revenge. To be the the catalyst by which the evil are punished is not our job. And by the way, you know, this verse right here is quoted in the New Testament twice. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends. This is New Testament now, New Covenant. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And if that wasn't enough, it gets said again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, The Lord will judge his people. And let me remind you again from the New Testament, Jonah. What we learned about God from Jonah is repeated in the New Testament. Look, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's both. It's both. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I told you what the name Jonah meant in Hebrew. Does anybody remember what the name Jonah meant? Surely, dove. The word Jonah in Hebrew means dove. Somebody gets the sucker if you can tell me what Nahum means in Hebrew. Comfort. Nahum means comfort in Hebrew. (laughs) How could that be? Because God said here, I will comfort you I will bring justice for all of that. God comforts Judah. He comforts Judah. God is the one who avenges. And that word Nahum, that word is, there's a word play in the book of Nahum on that word. To bring comfort also means 
that God brings justice. It is God who comforts those who are being afflicted. It is God who brings justice to comfort those who are being attacked. It is God who brings the justice. It is God who avenges. It's not Tony Stark. Avengers, did you get that? It is God. God is the ultimate avenger. (laughs) Church. God is slow to anger. Church. God offers repentance and he desires that all would turn away from their sin and turn towards God. Church. The Lord will punish those who do not turn. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your word in Jonah and Nahum. Thank you for the reminder about the important mission that we are called to participate in as your church. Give us the Creator's perspective, your perspective on those around us who are dying, those around us who so desperately need to repent so they can find life. Give us your perspective. Give us your heart. Help us to be in this community. Jonah's, doves, offering peace, offering reconciliation. But help us to remember that you will bring comfort to those who are oppressed. Remind us, Lord, that those who do not turn away, you will strike down. Could the mission that we have be any more important than this? Strengthen us, strengthen our hands for the task that you have given us in Bertha, Hewitt, Eagle Bend, Clarissa, Verndale, Wadena, Deer Creek. Strengthen our hands for the task. In Jesus' name, amen.